We're like best friends. He's just been a great mentor for me uh, throughout my life. Best friend, that's what I would say. Brother. <laughs> we can depend on each other. Yeah. And like, we know we're always gonna have each other's back. I think the most important thing I've learned from Ronnie is how to be patient um, and how to embrace grace. He's very graceful with me. I realized real quick that authentic relationship is more about community and you learn from each other and you, you, you share life together. Not be afraid to be herself no matter where she is um, and knowing that in being herself is the best way to honor God. I feel like he should kind of follow my steps. We're only six minutes apart, but my older brother say, hey, be the bigger person, act like an older person, even though you're not that far apart. It's exciting to see, um, you know, God working through you to influence others to, like, bring his mission to life. Sometimes, girls, like I said, at the same time. I was about to say that. <laughs> very busy, and so it's hard to, you know, intentionally do life together, and you have to take that time and sacrifice things in your life to invest in people. Being in an intimate relationship where you're married, you know, you have to um, be vulnerable enough to let those walls down and let somebody in, and sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable. Some people, like, when they have siblings, they don't really talk to them, or like they're older, so they don't really hang out with them. But we're like the same, we just do everything together. Yeah. Relationships are valuable, you know, and once you have one that's deep, you just want to continue it. It helps um, me to not only be able to love her better, but to be able to be, you know, more of who God would want me to be. Well, good morning, New City Church. Grateful to see all of you here today, whether you're on one of our campuses or joining us online. We're so honored to have you here today to worship. And this is a really special weekend for us. We're starting a brand new sermon series entitled Giving Up. We're going to be talking about giving up to God, what we tend to hold most dear. And so we'll jump into that in just a few moments. But it's also a special weekend because we're acknowledging, we're celebrating uh, Orphan Sunday, which is a, a Sunday that's set apart by the church, not just here uh, in our city, but across the country and world to, to honor, to celebrate, to pray for, to remember orphans across the world. And you may not realize that there are 150 million plus orphans across the world. So if orphans were a country, they would be the ninth largest country in the world, even ahead of Russia. Uh, it's a, an amazing struggle and challenge of helping children, of praying for children who aren't a part of their forever homes. And it's a challenge that we wanna be a part of as a church, not only here in our own city, but across the world. And so today we wanna honor and we wanna recognize Orphan Sunday. Uh, we're gonna pray in just a few moments, but I also have a dear friend with me here this morning, Nicole Taylor. Nicole is a part of our New City family, but she's also the executive director of Congregations for Kids one of our trusted city partners here. They're doing incredible work across the city uh, to engage with children who aren't a part of their forever home right now. And so would you give a warm New City welcome to Nicole Taylor. So Nicole, just wanna, um, just wanna start off by asking about the work that you guys do at CFK and uh, specifically some things that we can know about the orphan crisis in our own city and country and, and ways we can, we can support you guys. Absolutely, so CFK is what's considered a bridge ministry. Um, we are a bridge between the Mecklenburg County Department of Social Services, DSS, 
and the church and community. And so we create pathways in order for people to be able to support these kids that are in care. Yeah. And so if you don't know anything about this, one thing that I think is shocking for some people is that the United States orphanage is the foster yeah. care system. And so what does that look like in our own city? Right now, this morning, we have 526 children in the foster care system in Mecklenburg County. 48 of those kids, some of them whose pictures you see on the screen here, um, are what are considered true orphans, meaning their parental rights have been terminated and they are just waiting to find their forever home. Yeah. And so part of the work of CFK is um, connecting congregations of, of faith into uh, the lives of children, and there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. One of the things that was a, um, a big education point for me was uh, what Nicole just mentioned, which is uh, the traditional orphanages, when you think about uh, orphans and living in, in um, institutions or um, segmented populations called orphanages, that, that really doesn't happen a whole lot anymore in the United right. States. Um, so the orphanage of the United States is the foster care system. And specifically, the work of CFK is engaging congregations of faith like ours with uh, foster kids in our own city. So over 500 kids in our own city that are a part of the, the foster care network and just incredible work that you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. And I would just love for each of us who calls uh, New City our home to, to go further in understanding um, this challenge in our own city and ways that we can pray and be a part of that. Give us a couple of ways that we can know more about CFK and some of the things that you're doing in our city. Sure, so most people think that in order to be involved in um, helping these kids, you have to become a foster parent, and that's yeah. just not true. Um, certainly, that's a great way to be involved, but there are, there are mentorship opportunities, there's volunteer opportunities. I'll say New City as a church has been such a great partner and so faithful in letting us host trainings here, and several families at New City have become licensed yeah. foster parents, so what an amazing opportunity for us as a church mm -hmm. to be able to wrap around those families as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, Nicole mentioned the, the website. Just want to encourage you guys to maybe jot that down. It's up on the screens right now. And uh, take a visit to that uh, today or sometime this week to, to find out more about the work that CFK is doing. And they also cross-reference other organizations uh, that mm -hmm. you can discover more that, that maybe you could be a part of or even just to, to, to know so that you can pray uh, about all the things that are happening, not only in our own city, but, but across the country and the world. And there are also uh, some pictures that we showed today, uh, as Nicole mentioned, uh, kids that are ready for adoption. All of those kids and their pictures, their stories are available on the CFK website as well. So just, again, want to encourage you to take a step towards that. The, the other thing that we want to do today on, on Orphan Sunday, just recognizing orphans and, and praying for them, is, is to pray. And one of the things that, that churches are doing, not only in our city, but across the country and world today, is, is actually standing up for orphans, uh, educating ourselves on the plight of orphans, uh, educating ourselves on ways that we can come around them as, a, as a, a group of Christ followers, the church, to support them, to love them, and to pray for them. And so I want to invite uh, everyone as, that's a part of New City today uh, the, on our campuses to, to stand. And, and as you stand, would you stand for orphans and the stories that you just heard, some of the pictures that you just saw today that you would stand on their behalf and the 150 million plus orphans across our world today that, that need the church to engage, mm -hmm. uh, to know them and to pray for them. Um, so as we're standing today, let's, let's pray. I'm going to ask uh, Nicole to lead us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather as believers, Lord, and stand, stand for these children, Lord, your children. We pray specifically for the foster children in, in our city, Lord, and, and those 48 children who are looking for their forever family. Lord, we pray that they would find safety and love and stability. 
Lord, we pray that you would stir the hearts of, of your people to find ways and opportunities to, to support these children. We pray for the children beyond our city, beyond our borders, the 153 million kids in our world that do not have the systems of support in place that they need. Lord, we pray that, um, that you would help to comfort and um, encourage those that are currently uh, your hands and feet, Lord, the social workers, the foster parents, the adoptive parents, the judges, um, that you would encourage them and lift them up and continue, um, continue their work and, and what they're doing to support these children. Lord, we ask that ultimately these kids would come to know you and that they would focus on the hope and the peace that only you can provide them, Lord. We commit this to you this morning, Lord, both our Father and the Father to the fatherless. In your son's name, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, New City Church, for all that you're doing to love and support vulnerable children in our city and world. So many incredible stories of, of your grace and your love. And thanks to Nicole and to Congregations for Kids today for all the work that they're, they're doing. So uh, giving up, starting a, a new series entitled Giving Up. And we're going to be talking specifically about giving up to God what we tend to hold most dear. And so we're gonna talk about four different things. We could probably talk about 400 different things, right? Uh, that we need to continue to give up to God and hold with, with open hands. But we're gonna talk about four. We're gonna talk about giving up influence, uh, how to be generous with our influence. We're gonna do that today. We're gonna talk next week about giving up time, this precious commodity that God has given to us called time and how we live uh, all the days of our life, the time that God's given to us generously. We're gonna talk about money and how we uh, take the money that God's given to us and, and put it on mission and how to live that way generously with open hands with our money. And then finally, we're gonna talk about thanks. We're gonna talk about how to live as uh, gracious people who, who have gratitude and thanksgiving. Uh, Paul said, in all things, give thanks. How do we do that? How, how can we be generous and open-handed with what we're grateful for in our thanksgiving? So that's our series of the next couple of weeks, and we're gonna start today with influence, which is an interesting one. If you've been a part of any teachings or sermon series, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard a message or two about uh, how to live on mission with your money, with your time, but maybe you haven't uh, thought about how to live generously with your influence the influence that God has given to each and every one of us. But the scriptures actually talk about this whole thing of influence and how we can live generously with the influence God gives to us, how we can give up to God uh, what he's so graciously and generously given to us. Every night about seven o'clock, our 15 pound schnoodle comes in the room with, with his latest victim. He's gone into one of our kids' rooms and grabbed a stuffed animal and he wants to play his favorite game every single night. So I brought, I brought one of his victims with me this morning. I think this used to be a raccoon. It's, he's a shell of himself now, God rest his soul. Uh, Doug will bring this uh, to me or another animal and drop it at my feet. And as soon as I pick it up, you better believe he's on it. And we just go at it back and forth. And for a 15 pound dog, man, he just, he just holds on for dear life and turns into, he's normally mild man or just a very chill dog, but he turns into Cujo with these things, like for about 15, 20 minutes. And I thought about this this week as we were uh, uh, preparing the message and thinking about coming into this whole series of giving up. The, the, the reality is a lot of us play tug of war with God. And the things that God gives to us, which we know that every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from God. 
The things that God gives to us, the, the, the relationships he gives, the time, the money, the effort, the energy, the influence, all these things that come from God, we tend to pull back and forth with him and play tug of war. Does it really belong to him? Does it belong to us? And then we'll do what Doug does, which is he'll drop it at my feet, but as soon as I engage it, then he's right back on it again. And we'll give it up to God, and then we'll pick it back up, and then we'll give it up, and then we'll pick, we'll pick it back up, and we go back and forth and back and forth. The truth is that surrender, giving up, what God's given to us, what we hold most dear is tough. Giving up to God, surrendering, holding with an open hand the people and the things that we hold most dear is, is difficult, but it's what God calls us to. As Christ followers, if you're a follower of Jesus today, God calls us to live with open hands. And the truth is that we can't really possess anything that God gives to us, we're but stewards of it. Uh, people who live with closed hands become owners of other things and people. People who live with open hands are stewards. They walk through life with an open hand, trusting God to give and to take away in the seasons that he gives to us. But that's tough, isn't it? And, and, and on Sundays, we might say, yeah, I want to live generously with an open hand, but come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we find ourselves pulling back. And we'll drop it at God's feet, the things that he's given to us, but then we'll, we'll take it right back because it's difficult. Spurgeon said this, Charles Spurgeon said this, that giving is true having. Giving is true having. In other words, living generously with open hands, this, this idea that we're gonna be talking about over the next month of how to live with open hands and be generous with the things that God's given to us is actually how we have things. But the more we, we take and the more we hold on, the more we grab, the, the less that we really can have anything that God's given to us. And, and the things that God gives to us, the gifts become a shell of what they really are. Our relationships, our, our time, our money, they, they become just a fraction of what God intended them to be because we're tugging and we're pulling and we're, we're ripping them apart because we can't let them go. God has something to say about living generously because the truth is that God wants us to experience and to have life to the fullest. But the way to have life is actually to give life. The more we give, the more we have. That's what the Bible teaches, this, this great paradox. The world says you gotta grab and you gotta hold on and you gotta take what's yours and don't let anybody take it from you. And God says, no, you live with open hands generously. And the more generously you live, the more you actually have. So all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, God's word talks about how to live open-handedly, how to live as generous people, how to give up to God what he's given to us. And one of those passages is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 18. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd love for you to turn there with me. You can also find it on our app. It's preloaded there with the notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 18. And God's word's gonna speak specifically here about this idea of giving up influence, living generously with the influence that God has given to each and every one of us. As you're turning there in the passage to 2 Corinthians 10, let me say a couple things about the context of what you're gonna be reading and hearing today from the passage. Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, of course, to the church at Corinth. It's a church that he planted. If you wanna read the story about Paul planting the church at Corinth, you can turn to Acts chapter 18 and you can read the whole story about Paul and his team and planting the church at Corinth. Paul was in Corinth for, eight, for um, 18 months, a year and a half, planting this church. He cares deeply for this church. In fact, 2 Corinthians, this is really interesting, of all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians is the most emotional, passionate, personal letter that the Apostle Paul writes. 
He cares deeply for this group of, of people. Moreover, he writes four different major letters to the church at Corinth. You say, well, there's only two. There's only First and Second Corinthians. The two of them are not in the canon of the scriptures. We know that Paul writes a first letter before First Corinthians that was his first letter to the church at Corinth. Then he writes a second letter, which is our First Corinthians. Then he writes a tearful, severe letter, a, a letter of rebuke and correction to the church, which is the third letter. Then he writes our Second Corinthians, which is the fourth letter. Have you had your coffee today? There's four <laughs> letters that the apostle Paul has written. You say, Chris, what does this have to do with living generously? I want, to, I want to make the point that Paul cares deeply for this group of people. Paul cares deeply for you, even though he never met you. He's writing to you, to us as a church, and what it means to live generously. 2 Corinthians specifically, the theme of the whole book of 2 Corinthians that we're going to be looking at today is Paul defending his ministry. And if you struggle with being a defensive person, probably no one in here in our church does, but I've heard about people, maybe you have a friend that sometimes struggles with being defensive, and you can share this with them. Second Corinthians is, is a book of, of Paul defending his ministry. But here's the amazing thing as you read Second Corinthians. Paul defends his ministry without becoming defensive. He defends the gospel and defends his calling without becoming defensive without taking everything so personally. We live in a world that people walk around offended at everything, and we take everything so personally, and everything becomes a battle. Paul is gonna stand up for himself, he's gonna stand up for his calling, he's gonna stand up for Jesus, but he's gonna do it in a way that's not defensive. And the final thing I would say just about context for 2 Corinthians, this passage we're going to get into today in chapter 10, specifically in this, in this chapter, Paul is defending his ministry against critics. If you're going to do anything for Jesus, if you're going to do anything of influence, you can expect to have criticism. You know, if, if you don't want to have criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna live for Jesus and live stewarding your influence, which is what God calls you to, you're gonna have people who criticize. Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul in a short period of time has a long list of critics. This is a church that he planted. This is a church that he's poured into, that he's discipled, and yet it's a church that's full of critics. People who have now begun to, to tear apart Paul's ministry, and he wants to write specifically chapter 10 to defend, not, not be defensive, but to defend his ministry and the gospel. And here's the amazing way that he does that. He defends his calling by talking about his struggles. So many of us want to defend ourselves and our calling and, and our assignment and the things that, that, that we're doing in our life with our successes, Paul defends his ministry with his struggles. And he says in chapter 12, you can go and read this some other time, in chapter 12 he actually says in verse 10, it's, it's in my weaknesses that the, the power of Christ is made strong. In other words, what Paul is saying to us is, it's not about me. It's not about my successes. It's not about matching up everything that I've done with what you've done and, and trying to defend myself and being defensive. It's about talking about the work and the power of Christ in and through this broken vessel called me. And what I've learned, Paul says painfully, is the weaker I am, the more struggles I have, the more adversity I face, the, the rougher things get, the more the light of Christ shines through me. The more broken I am as a vessel, the more the eternal light of Jesus shines through all the cracks that is my life. Are you with me? Anybody with me? 
So 2 Corinthians becomes this personal, emotional letter of Paul, not being defensive, but defending Jesus and the gospel. And he defends by saying, it's in my weakness that the power of Christ has become strong in my life. So with that context in mind, let's jump into our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 18. Paul defending himself against the critics, the people who are tearing down his ministry, defending Jesus. Here's what he says. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of, here's our word, influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, for we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. May God bless the reading of his word to you today. Paul says, giving up influence begins with understanding that God's given you an assignment. Look at verses 13 and 14 again, 2 Corinthians 10. Paul says, we're not gonna boast beyond what the Lord has given to us, the assignment that God has given to us his team. Paul's saying God gave us a task. He gave us an assignment and we're but being faithful to the assignment that God has given to us. God's given you an assignment. You may be struggling today to know exactly what that assignment is, but here's what you can know. God's given each and every one of you a personal assignment, a task, a sphere, a circle that he wants you to operate in. This is what Paul is saying, that the beginning of understanding how to live generously with your influence is to realize that your influence and your assignment, what God's called you to, came from him. It wasn't your idea. And so Paul says, we're not gonna boast beyond our limits. What's the limit? The limit of our assignment. We're only gonna be faithful to what God has called us to. Let let me cross-reference back to a previous letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians Chapter seven, verse 17, Paul writes these words. Listen to this. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Did you hear that? Lead the life that God has assigned to you. And Paul says, this isn't just my rule for the church at Corinth. This is my rule in all the churches the capital C church, all Christ followers, lead the life that God has assigned to you, the life that God has called to you. And when you live in your assignment, you won't find the need to tear other people down. You won't find the need to compare yourself to other people because that's what's happening here. If you go back and look at verse 12, the verse preceding our passage today, Paul says, my critics compare themselves with one another and with me. And it's all in vain because God called us to a specific task and assignment, and we don't need to compete or compare with other people, but boy, we do that, don't we? And even as Christ followers, we spend our energy and our words tearing down other people, criticizing people, comparing ourselves to other people, and robbing ourselves of the joy of being ourselves fully alive and present. 
Comparing yourself to other people is the death of the joy that God wants to give to you. And Paul knows that. That's why he's writing so strongly about this. I think his heart is breaking even for his critics because he realizes these incredibly gifted leaders are spending their time trying to tear Paul down to take his influence. And Paul is saying, I didn't take anything from anyone. The Lord gave this to me. It's an assignment that he gave to me and I wanna be faithful to it. When our kids were young, they used to be on swim team, and God bless you parents and grandparents who have kids that are swimming on swim team, because invariably with swim team, right, you got the individual events, your kids, you know, swim the individual, but then you got the medleys that come like 17 hours later at the end of the night, and you got to stay there, you know, and, and be asked for a concession stand food for, for six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 hours, however long you're there. So let's have some PTSD from swim meets. If you're there, pray, pray for you guys. My kids, when they were young, when they were swimming on the swim teams, and, and maybe this happens to your kids or grandchildren right now, when you see them swim, especially when they start out, this is what they do with, the, the, with uh, whether it's the breaststroke or butterfly or freestyle or backstroke. Every stroke they take, they're, they're look, looking around, you know. It's, where am I at? Am I getting beat? What, what, and, and then they start swimming, and then they start banging into the lane guards and going back and forth, and, 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 and we're yelling and screaming as parents and as coaches, just, just run your way, just, just, just swim, just swim right here to me. Don't worry about the people around you, but they're, you know, and this is what we do. We're, we're doing it, we're trying to run, we're trying to swim, but then we just, where, where am I, they're ahead, oh, they're behind me, I'm smoking them, but they're, they're ahead of me, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, and the whole time we're, we're swimming like this because we're so concerned with the people around us that we forget to swim our race and to stay in our swim lane, the assignment that God's given to us. If you don't take anything else from this message about how to give up your influence, please take this. God has assigned you to a task. He's assigned you to a place, to a specific thing in your life. It's what God gave to you. Be present and be fully alive in that place. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop criticizing other people as if you're gonna take some of their influence and you're gonna gain it. It doesn't come from them anyway. It comes from God. That's what Paul is saying. He wants to teach the church. He wants to teach us that your influence, this thing that God's called you to steward, is not from other people. It's a gift from God. It's an assignment from his, from his hands to your hands. So let's, let's look a little bit further. We, we saw that word area of influence. I don't know if you noticed that. Three different times that word influence or the phrase area of influence is included in our passage, 2 Corinthians 10, 13 through 18. The word influence here, what we're talking about stewarding is the Greek word kanon, kanon. And the word means this. It's a fixed space. The limits of which one's power of influence is confined one's sphere of activity, the space of one's assignment. That's what the Greek word kanon means. Let me say it another way. It's a circle of influence. It's a circle, it's a limit that God's put you in. It's your swim lane. It's, it's where God's called you to operate in your gifts and your personality for such a time as this, your kanon. And that word kanon in the Greek only appears four times in all the New Testament. All 27 books, it only appears four times. And three of them are in our passage. You think Paul wants to say something about this? He wants the church to know. 
He wants the other leaders who are criticizing him to know that each of you have your own sphere of influence, your circle of activity, activity, limits that God's put around you that you're meant to operate in. Don't step out of your canoe and be fully alive and present in your circle. Be who God has called you to be. Be present today. So many of you, I just wanna say it again, some of you are looking at other people's swim lanes and the assignments that they have and how cool everything is and and especially in this digital age, everyone projects their best images forward and we look at all of the highlight reels of everybody else, everything going on with them, the best, everybody's always smiling and looking perfect and we don't realize there were 27 shots that went into getting that one shot that they posted for you to see and you're comparing your insides your heart that only you know was someone else's outsides, and you'll always lose. You'll always lose. Comparison is the death of God's joy in your life. Stop comparing yourself to other people and be fully present and alive in the life, this one life. Hey guys, watch this. You get one life to live. This one life that God has given to you. Show up for it. Be fully alive. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Be fully alive today in your canone, in your circle of influence, your area of activity that God has given to you. That's what Paul is saying. And he says the whole point of stewarding influence and the area of activity, this canone that God's given to you, is not to influence other people for your own success or to build yourself up, it's, it's for something so much greater than yourself. This, this is where we, we go different ways from people in the world who say, I just wanna be an influencer. I wanna be a digital influencer. I wanna be a social influencer. And, and oftentimes how this goes is influencer is code for I wanna get a certain amount of follows or a certain amount of likes, a certain amount of people paying attention to me so that I can build off of them and get more personal success. That's not what biblical influence is. Biblical influences, I would love that your faith would increase, verses 15 and 16, so that our area of influence could increase, so that more people could hear about Jesus. Those first two words in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 10, are the key to the purpose behind godly influence. Paul says, we want our area of influence to increase. We want your faith to grow. We want you to grow up as a church, not for our success or glory, but so that God might increase our canone, our circle of influence, and more people might hear about the gospel of Jesus. God gives each and every one of you a space to give other people his grace. God gives you a space to give others his grace. The reason that we have to be such good stewards of God's influence is because he gives it to us so that other people might know his goodness, his grace, and his love. And moreover, Paul seems to say, the more that we steward God's influence, this gift that he's given to us, this canone of activity and assignment that he's given to each and every one of us personally, the, 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 the more we steward that well, it might be that that circle increases. Jesus said it this way in Luke 16, verse 10, He who is faithful with little will be given much. So Paul seems to be referencing this when he says, we want Corinth, we want your faith to increase as a church. We want you to be fully alive and present. We want you to be on fire for the Lord and using your gifts and influence so that our circle might increase and we might go tell other people about Jesus. 
We want our circle to uh, increase, not for our personal success, but for the glory of God and so that more people might know about his grace and love. Paul finishes here this section about influence and stewarding it well in verses 17 and 18 by saying these words, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you hear that? Paul's saying it's not about me, it's not about us. When he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, he's saying, let the one who has influence, let the one who has success, let let the one who is fulfilling God's vision and purpose for their life, let them boast in the Lord and not in themselves because it didn't come from them. They are but stewards of the gift that God's given to them. I love how Pastor Anley Stanley talks about leadership. He says, leadership is stewardship, it's temporary, and you're accountable. All of you are leaders. If you're a Christ follower, you're a leader. You may not consider yourself a leader, but you are. You're leading other people either closer or further away from a relationship with Jesus. And Andy reminds us that leadership is stewardship. It didn't come from us. It's God's gift to us. It's influencing other people. And it's temporary, and we're going to be held accountable for it. So Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself. When things go well, boast in the Lord. When things don't go well, tomorrow will be another day. And you're not in charge of success anyway when it comes to stewarding God's influence and leadership in your life. You're in charge of being faithful. Do you hear the difference? You're not in charge of being successful in your canone, your area of influence that God's given to you. You're in charge of being faithful, of showing up and being fully alive for Jesus. So giving up influence is actually giving up to God and boasting, this is what Paul is saying, and bragging about what God has done and not what we have done. We can't pick up what we hold most dear and play tug of war with God and be fully alive. We can't be generous people who are dropping this at the feet of Jesus and say, oh, it all belongs to you and then picking it right back up and playing tug of war again. It's living with open hands and and, and generously offering everything that we are because it all came from God anyway. Here's some practical ways that we can give up our influence. As you leave here today, as you go out this week and you think about the message of, of living generously with the influence and the circle that God has placed you in specifically, let me give you a couple practical ideas and things to pray about. Think about giving up influence in your relational circles. You say, well, Chris, these are my friends. I mean, I'm just, I'm a very nice person, I'm pleasant, I'm a good friend, and therefore I have friends, nonsense. You have friends because God's given you relationships. He's given you your personality. He's given you your energy. He's given you everything that's good about you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. How about leveraging your relationships, your friendships, your personality, your connectivity for the glory of God? And instead of seeing your friends as your friends, but seeing them as people that God's brought in your life to influence and to play a part and bringing them closer to Jesus. I have a dear friend that I was with this past week for lunch, and he didn't even know what I was gonna be preaching on. And he just, at one point in the conversation, he said, you know, I made a list of relationships, people in my life, the circle that God has placed around me of people, and I counted up and wrote a list of 30 different people that I have a friendship with that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that would not say they're Christ followers. And he said, I wrote a list of all of them because I want to make a dedicated effort in the days that I have left here on this earth to minister to them, to be with them, to build relationship even further with them, and to love them closer to Jesus and share his grace with them. 
And he said, I have so many other people that I wanna spend time with, but I'm making these people a priority because God has placed them in my circle. What about you? Your circle of relationships, of living generously with your friends, the epidemic of loneliness is raging in our country. We're so connected with each other digitally, and yet we're so isolated relationally. What if you shared some of your friends with someone who's lonely? What if someone who's just moved to the city or just started at your office, that you were the connector, that you, you helped them to build relationships, that you invited them in your new city circle, your small group, that you invited them to come in and, and, and love them closer in relationship with other people? How about professionally? I am amazed, I am amazed at your giftedness, your talents, your energies, your effort. I am, I am floored by the influence of New City Church all throughout our city, our country, our world through your different professions. Brilliant architects and lawyers and attorneys and doctors and educators, people in medicine and, and media and arts and sport, all different circles and walks of life that God has placed you in. What if you leveraged your profession, your, your, your vocation for the glory of God? And, 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 and you're in medicine or you're in education or you're in government, but, but more importantly, you're, you're a missionary. This is your ministry and you do that through your said vocation. What if you saw it that way? What, what, what if your life wasn't so divided out, but you saw all of your life and all of your circles as a ministry, an area of influence that God has given to you to steward really, really well? I wonder even just this week, if you think about something in your business, something that in your, your work and your vocation of, of how you could lift up Jesus, of how you could, you could let people know what you stand for and who you are. You don't, have to, you don't have to stand up and preach a sermon at your cubicle this week, but you can do what St. Francis of Assisi said. He said, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use some words. How could you leverage your profession Give glory to God. Help other people to take a step closer to Jesus. How about geographically? We, we just finished a series as a church, and you can go back and listen to it called The Art of Neighboring, where we talked about the great commandment of loving our neighbors as, as Jesus has loved us. And, 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 and specifically what Paul is talking about with the area of influence in Canone, what he talks about for himself personally is geographically that this city called Corinth was a place that God had called him to, his assignment, and he wants to be faithful to that. God's called each of you to this place for such a time as this in Charlotte, and we have so many needs in our city that you can be engaged in. But where is it in the city that you can jump in, that you can use your hands for the glory of God? What about in your own neighborhood? We learned in the series that uh, where we live is not random, that God has assigned people different places and times to live in, and we get this one life to live. How about leveraging your influence with your neighbors? Some of the greatest mission fields that we have right now are right across the street from you today. You'll wave to them on your way back from church. And before they read the Bible, God's word, they'll read you. And before they might even come and attend a worship service at a church, they're gonna come and listen to you in your conversation and you can be the church and bring it to them. How can you do that geographically? Even spaces in our own city that we can join the work that God is already doing. What Henry Blackaby said when, he's, when he said, if you, if you, if you wanna join in the work that God's doing, don't ask him to come do what you're doing. Find out where God's at work and do what? Go and join him, because God's already at work. I've been so blessed the last two weeks to be at our newest campus, our Idaho campus, and to see the work that God is doing there. And it's not about us showing up, God's already there. And it's just joining God in the work joyfully that he's already doing in that part of our city and asking God to continue to call us into different places. Here's the final thing. 
How can you leverage your influence? How can you give up your influence? This connectivity, this space, this sphere of activity and, and, and influence and, and leveraging all of that for the glory of God. How can you do that? This circle that God's called you to. How about your holy discontent? You say, what in the world does that mean, your holy discontent? It's another way of saying your, your righteous anger, as the Bible says. I heard a pastor describe it as your holy discontent. What is your holy discontent? That thing, that place, that pain, that brokenness, that when you see it, when you hear about it, when you read about it, when you experience it, you can't turn away. And you can't go back to your normal life. I wanna just plead with you and encourage you to give your heart to that. To not, to not harden your heart against the brokenness and the pain of this world. Yes, it's true, you can't solve every broken problem and pain in this city and in our world, you can't. But you can, you can, you can leverage your gifts and your influence for one. You can give your life to one, one area of need, one person, one person who's struggling, one area of pain or brokenness. What is your holy discontent? That thing that just keeps you up at night, that eats at you, that when you watch it, when you see it, your, your eyes well up with tears, your heart pounds, and you can't turn away. Your holy discontent's gonna be different from other people. And you may wonder, why doesn't other people, why don't their hearts break like my heart breaks? Don't worry about that. Just worry that your heart's breaking. And here's a dangerous prayer for each of us to pray. You ready? God, break my heart for the people and the things that break your heart. Would you wreck me? Would you break my heart for the people and the places of brokenness and pain that, that break your heart, God? And would you help me with my one life to live, to leverage it however you see fit in my circle, in my canone, to leverage it for grace and for goodness in those people's lives? This is probably a whole sermon series, but I'll, I'll stop here, but I wanna leave you with this. Your assignment, your area of influence, your, your holy discontent, practically speaking here, is probably somewhere between your personal passion, whatever that is for you, that place that breaks your heart, that cause that breaks your heart, that pain or brokenness specifically that tugs on your heart and your mind. It's at the intersection of your passion and the world's brokenness that purpose lives. The intersection of other people's needs and, and hunger and wants and pain and, and brokenness and dismay and grief. The intersection of those things and your personal passion, what fires you up, what, what gets you up in the morning, what keeps you up at night. That intersection is the intersection of purpose. So get about figuring that out. Pray about it. Ask God to break your heart, to show you what your area of influence, your canone should be. And then get about it. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't post it on social media. Don't tell everybody else what you're doing. Just go do it and be about it. Giving up influence comes down to this, this one simple truth. That God gives you a space, a canone. God gives you a space to give others his grace. What's your space? And what grace are you gonna bring to other people for the glory of God? To Christ be the glory today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you indeed today break our hearts for the things that, that break yours, for the people, for the areas of brokenness and pain, for the areas of grief and for spaces and places in our own life and world where you're asking us to enter into, to not turn our eyes away from or harden our hearts to. Would you break our hearts today, Father, for the people and for the places and the things that break yours. 
Would you help us to know specifically today what you're calling us to, what your assignment is for us? Would you give us wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us from your word? And now, Father, would you also give us the faith to trust you and to obey? In Christ's name I pray, amen.